following is a paid program on 630 WLAP. This is the Tom Dupree Show on News Radio 630 WLAP and WLAP.com. Welcome to the camp. I guess you all know why we're here. My name is Tommy, and I became aware this year. If you want to follow me, you've got to play pinball. And put in your earplugs, put on your eye shades, you know where to put the cork. on the Tom Dupree show. Uh, there's a song by Amy Mann and uh, she's quite a songwriter and singer and we're going to feature a few of her songs. Since we did a rerun for the first hour, I'm going to read a psalm for this hour, Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh unto him. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. That's Psalm 32. Um, I wanted to, before we get into the <clears throat> show here, I wanted to make note of the fact that David Koch, billionaire conservative activist and philanthropist died at 79 david coke was uh, an owner of coke industries c-o-c-k-o-c-h is, is how it's spelled looks like koch um and was a multi-billionaire he was a a great helper to conservative causes and a great philanthropist in new york city um, David Koch, regarded as the more gregarious of the two Koch brothers, served as the executive vice president of Koch Industries. He held a master's in chemical engineering from the M Massachusetts Institute of Technology. He and his brother Charles were tied as the 11th richest in the world in Forbes. At the time of his death, he was worth $42.4 billion dollars. 
David and Charles Koch, along with their brothers Frederick and Bill, inherited the business when their father, who founded it, died in 1967. Frederick and Bill sold their stake in 83 and in 1998 pursued an unsuccessful lawsuit against the other two brothers, claiming they were cheated when they were bought out of the private company. Uh, With the wealth from their business, David and Charles Koch helped to build massive conservative network of donors for organizations that work to mobilize voters and sway elected officials in support of libertarian-leaning economic policies. And they were greatly excoriated by the left. Anytime there would be uh, uh, some kind of event that they would have, there would be people outside there protesting. Um, When in fact... They were pretty even-handed about a lot of things. Uh, they founded the uh, nonprofit Americans for Prosperity, which has spent more than a billion dollars over the past several elections to support candidates that adhere to their free market, small government, libertarian ideals. While they distanced themselves from the movement, touting instead classic libertarian ideals, the brothers are also credited with helping to fuel the Tea Party. While celebrated on the right, the Koch brothers are often regarded by Democrats as a symbol of a corrupting force of corporate money in American politics. So they were not without controversy, but uh, it should be noted that David Koch was respected in New York City because he gave large amounts of money to things like the symphony, the, the opera, the Museum of Modern Art, um, things that liberals also enjoy. So I think they liked him for his donations. We welcome Philip uh, Sexton to the show. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, now, we've got some interesting stories here that you want to talk about. This one is interesting, in my opinion, on Yahoo Finance. Negative interest rates are coming, and they are downright terrifying. So uh, this is an interview with, I guess, Mohammed El Arian of PIMCO. Huh. What if I said I wanted to borrow $100 from you and pay you back $99 five years later? Would you do it? Of course not. And yet this is exactly what's happening right now in the banking systems of Japan, Germany, France, and other European countries. Negative interest rates, where the lender gets paid back less than they've loaned, now add up to 30% of the global tradable bond universe, according to J.P. Morgan. You may have seen, for instance, that Germany just sold the first negative-yielding 30-year bond issue. In case you're wondering, yes, this is crazy. And I've been in the bond business for 42 years, which is really not that long, but during that time i've seen remarkable differences in the bond markets so that encompasses 1981 when uh interest rates got up to 17 percent on short-term cds some government bonds were yielding 12 and a half 13 percent on the u.s treasury bonds so i've seen probably the record highest interest rates that there's ever been. And in my career, I've seen record lowest interest rates. <laughs> so it's fascinating. The big spread there. For yeah. Sure. And I, 
you know, one thing I wanted to point out in this article too, it's uh, so it, it talks about negative interest rates coming to the U.S. potentially in the future. It says, yes, the U.S. 10-year Treasury yields 1.59%, which is not close to zero, uh, but negative rates seem to be creeping even closer. For instance, negative interest rates have come to the U.S. corporate debt, uh, haven't come to U.S. corporate debt, but euro-denominated bonds issued by the likes of blue chips, Apple, McDonald's, and Pepsi carry negative yields. Uh, I think an interesting thing about so this. So some, some U.S. companies are getting the benefit of being able to borrow for zero. Basically, yeah. And uh, when you look at this, you know, the majority, I don't want to speak for all of it because I haven't gone through and looked at every single issue, but the majority of this debt, like for Apple, for instance, you know, they'll issue this debt at maybe – 25 basis points worth of yield or that's that's a quarter of one percent but they're so starved over there it's a it's a mentality of not to lose uh, what can i lose the least on yeah and it's actually bidding it into so the price of the bond goes up so high that it's actually turns into a negative yielding situation so even though they issue it with a positive interest rate the price goes so high that in order to amortize the premium that you've paid on the bond that and premium on a bond is the price over par that you pay for the bond. In, in other words, the bond will repay you at a thousand dollars and you're paying a thousand and fifty or a thousand and a hundred dollars, eleven hundred dollars for the bond, whatever the amount is that you're paying over par that $100 you're paying over par, that's premium. That will go away yeah. between the time you buy it and the time it matures. Yeah, because even though you buy it at, you know, 1050 or 1100 yeah, all you're getting back is 1000 at the end of the day. You know, so that's right. where, it, you know, you're looking at, okay, I get 1000 and then I get, you know, $25, $25, $25, or something like that, and, and you're trying, well, $25 would be more than a quarter point. You're getting $2.50 at a quarter right. point. So you're hoping, okay, I make more interest than I amortize in premium. Well, they've bid the prices up so high that you're actually amortizing more in premium than you're than you're getting in interest. That's right. And the problem is, is it's, it's like a game of hot potato. The last person that's holding that bond is the one that eats all that amortization, basically. Unbelievable. It's a, it's a scary thought process, and it's uh, the interesting thing is how it's kind of turned into the new norm. Um, and it, it's, it's really, I think the, the hard part is, is when you start to look at from an economic standpoint, all the pensioners and all the, the other, especially in Europe, um, you know, we've looked at a lot of uh, European uh, base companies, um, you know, that, that do global global business, but, uh, you know, they've said a lot of times that uh, pensioners rely on those dividends over there. And in Europe, it was postulated that negative interest rates would never fly in the consumer sphere in terms of banks paying back depositors less than they put in their savings accounts. But that's now changing. Banks in Denmark and Switzerland are now charging customers to hold deposits. So if you put in $1,000 in a checking account, <coughs> you might get back 990 because they're going to charge you to hold your money. And it's, see, the original intent of the negative interest rate 
by the ECB was to penalize banks for holding deposits, uh, hold holding money, you know, with the res- with the with the reserve. Right. Uh, it was to try to force banks to lend money to create, uh, you know, create capital, basically. Uh, and it's kind of backfiring. Yeah. In other words, uh, res- fractional reserve banking, which is what creates capital gets messed up with negative interest rates. Yeah, it's it goes into decline. It was the going back to the 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 law of unintended consequences that I like to talk about, you know, your original what you were trying to do was spur banks to lend money. Yeah. Well, now they're like, "Hey, we can flip this on its head." And now banks are making a killing in a sense because this is the backwards thinking. Now, if I charge you $10 to hold $1,000 with me, and then I go buy Apple bonds and only lose $5. Yeah. yeah. Well, I made that's, $5. That's your spread. Your spread is, is a negative is a, is a negative spread. It's going from negative one to negative and a half. Yeah. Golly. <laughs> this is messed up. It's backwards is all good. It's at. really backwards. It's, it's screwed up. <laughs> But and that's that's what the scary the scary consequence the scary ultimate consequence there comes down to, you know what happens with with pensioners in in the eurozone, uh you know what what do they do? Well, <clears throat> now they're starving for yield. <clears throat> so ultimately, if this continues over a long trend, you have to look for the next best alternative. Which what it's exactly what happened in the U.S. with um. You know, when when we went to zero rates, you saw this massive flow of money into kind of your your consumer staples companies, things of that nature. Right. You know, you've kind of it's it's always the next step. Right. You so people will buy stocks. Stay with us. We'll take a break here. It is the Tom Dupree Show, News Radio six thirty WLAP. Happening over there. Hong Kong. Protesters. Happening right here. Gun crisis. Chance of recession. Jeffrey Epstein. No matter where it happens, your world happens. It's all happening here. Gather more information. The facts. News Radio 630 WLAP. Hi, this is Tom Dupree Jr. What does a good financial advisor do? Perhaps it comes down to asking the right questions instead of having all the answers. For instance, should I take Social Security now or later? Am I really ready to retire? Is my money invested properly to pay me an income during retirement? These are a few of the questions that might come up in your discussion with a financial advisor. Good questions are what a financial advisor may be able to help you with. You will come up with the answers on your own. If you're not sure about some of these things and need a sounding board, call Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 for a complimentary appointment. Also, you can listen to the Tom Dupree Show on Saturdays at 7 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400. 630 WLAP. Of momentum, I've allowed my fears to get larger than life, 
And it's brought me to my current agenda Where I plan a dinner fulfillment has yet to arrive And I know life is getting short Back on the Tom Dupree show. Excuse my ignorance, but who who is who is this? This is Amy Mann. Okay. The first song that he played was, I think, the studio version of a of a song she did. The live version is a lot better, but this she, now is she making music now or is this yeah, like she's around? Okay. Yeah. She's actually been. Around, I was doing some quick research on her. She's been around since. Think maybe the late seventies, but kind of came into her, into her own in the eighties. Yeah, um, and she kind of has a little punk background to her, and right. she was uh, now she's really developed into a highly regarded singer songwriter. Yes, so she's she's amassed quite the career for herself without being put, a well known name. Put out a whole lot of albums. Huh. Six billion dollar companies are now penny stocks hope you sold skilled investors know to cut their losses before things get really bad hopefully jc penny and frontier communications investors knew this golden rule six members of the standard and poor's total market index and the s p 500 commanded one billion dollar or greater market values when this decade began only to become penny stocks today this is based on an investor's business daily analysis of data from MarketSmith and uh, S&P Global Market Intelligence. Suffering these kinds of losses is all the more painful given the powerful run the S&P 500 is on. So talk to me about some of these and what, what has happened. Yeah, so when when you when you boil it down so it talks about like jc pennies it talks about a, a series of fumbles that poor uh, management team choices and following profits uh, push jc penny shares to 58 cents a piece which is down 98 percent from their level uh on december 31st 2009 uh you know the company's now worth 191 million also when you look at uh, frontier communications which is mostly a wireline telecom company in rural areas looked like a dividend darling in 2009 after all the company was a member of the s&p 500 until 2017 and in 2009 the stock yielded a seemingly too good to be too too true 12.8 percent uh turns out that it was too good to be true as many dividends uh can be at times uh, shares of frontier down 98 percent from late 2009 to 83 cents and following a number of dividend cuts, investors don't have the yield as comfort either as the company doesn't pay a dividend anymore. Uh, my, What I wanted to get out there is that, you know, a lot of people look at dividend yields as, uh, oh, you know, it's 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 like a, a bond payment. It's, it's going to be there. Well, the same as a bond payment, it's only good as the company producing the profits, backing it up. Right. You know, when you look at, at Frontier Communications, it was a wireline business. Um, they didn't have cell phone business. Uh, you know, when when I look, there's been this huge shift to cell phones. It's, think of AT&T now. You get paid, basically, to add the wireline to your, your bundle almost. Right. But because nobody does wireline anymore. 
Um, nobody in my generation that I can think of does wireline. Uh, so th- there's just been this huge shift, and Frontier never got with the shift. Uh, you think of J.C. Penney, you know, you they didn't have like their own kind of brand that made you jump and go and, and shop at J.C. Penney. It was all just this confluence of different brands that they sold that right you know sears sold the same stuff cole sold the same stuff so it came down to a price and convenience uh which jc penny didn't get with the the program on that so you you've kind of when you're looking at building your portfolio of dividend paying stocks it's very important first off that you monitor it all the time you know because things change yeah Things things change as time goes on. And second off, you need to look at, you know, what what is the profits backing the dividend? Where yeah. first off, where do they come from? You know, what's producing it? Is this something that that seems pretty consistent? And you know, will will they be there? Right. You know, you look at a, a company like AT and T that I use instead of Frontier Communications. Well, AT and T. They've got the cell phone business, which is their big driver. Right. And then they, they've got internet. They've got all these other things that are kind of necessary evils at the moment. Uh, you know, but just as in Frontier's case, that could change. You know, we could learn how to communicate with telepathy one day. I don't know. Put on these little helmets and then shoot a message to Tom Dupree 10 miles down the street with my helmet. That's right. Oh, you can still do that, <laughs> but, but it remains to be seen if he'll get the right message. <laughs> Depends on what his helmet's tuned in. Yeah. All right. Stay with us. You're listening to the Tom Dupree show. We're here for another half hour. It's news radio, 630 WLAP. From iHeartRadio, number one for podcasts, Family Secrets. My name is Danny Shapiro, the host of Family Secrets. Three years ago, I took a DNA test, and this test, meant to be a fun exploration of my family history, turned up a massive family secret. I wasn't who I thought I was. Join me and my guests in the journey of Family Secrets. Hear it right here, Wednesday night at 8 on News Radio 630 WLAP. J&H Outdoor Store, Central Kentucky's outdoor headquarters since 1972 with everything you need for your tailgate or back to school. Come see the new styles, colors and accessories of coolers and ramblers from Yeti, backpacks from Patagonia, the North Face and Osprey, and sandals and flips from Chaco and Teva. Something for everyone. J&H Outdoor Store, just off Nicholasville Road on Moore Drive. Turn between Raising Canes and Wendy's. J&H Outdoor Store. Hey, it's me again. If you're driving alone and smoking, feel free to change the station. But if you're riding with a non-smoker, hear me out. That person riding shotgun, they think you're pretty cool. And you are. They think so highly of you that they don't want to ask you to put your cigarette out. Do them a favor. Save that last puff for later, okay? And remember, if you'd like help quitting, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Or visit quitnowkentucky.org. President Trump having lunch with French President Emmanuel Macron shortly after he arrived in France for the G7 summit. 
Trade is going to be a key issue, especially amid the president's trade war with China. But European Union President Donald Tusk says there are other pressing matters to discuss among the world leaders. Climate crisis and the protection of natural environment, including forests and oceans. The burning Amazon rainforest has become another depressing sign of our times. Brazil's president's called in the country's military to help fight the fires in the Amazon. President Trump says the U.S. is ready to help if needed. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg received radiation treatment on a cancerous tumor in her pancreas. Court says there's no evidence of the disease left in her body. And a Florida man convicted of manslaughter in the shooting death last year of an unarmed man despite claiming the state's stand-your-ground law as his defense. Brian Clark, ABC News. Nice weather on this Saturday. Temperatures with a mix of sun and clouds way below normal, mid to upper 70s. Humidity levels are way down there. Feels a whole lot like fall. End of the day on Sunday. Upper 50s to start. Clouds will thicken up, and by the afternoon, a few scattered showers and thunderstorms will begin to move back into the area. Upper 70s to around 80. Showers and storms are likely into Sunday and Monday. Moral of the story, enjoy your Saturday. I'm WKYT Chief Meteorologist Chris Bailey on your official weather station, New Jersey 30 WKYT. Broadcasting live 24-7 from the heart of Big Blue Nation. This is News Radio 630 WLAP, an iHeart Radio station. Prescription products require an online physician consultation and are only available if the physician determines a prescription is appropriate. See website for full details. Hey guys, good news. The outrageously expensive little blue pill is now generic which means you can get the prescription medication to treat ED at affordable prices. And Hems makes it extra affordable. Right now, get your first month supply for free. All you pay is just $5 for your medical consultation when you go to 4hems.com joy. After that, it's just 30 bucks for a month's supply. Sure beats paying big bucks for just one blue pill, doesn't it? Plus, you won't need an awkward in-person doctor's appointment to get the prescription. Hims has doctors online who can prescribe the medication, and a pharmacy sends it right to your door. It's affordable, private, and incredibly easy. Nobody likes dealing with ED. Now, thanks to Hims, nobody has to. And that's really good news. To get your first order for just five bucks, you need to go to this exclusive address, forhims.com slash joy. That's forhims.com slash joy for your first month for just five bucks. F-O-R-H-I-M-S dot com slash joy. HelpWantedLexington.com presents the world's worst boss, the one who posts jobs on huge national job sites looking for anyone with a pulse. We'll just call him Dave. Officer, thank goodness you're here. You said it was an emergency. And it is. We have some positions in senior management that need to be filled pronto. <sighs> Not this again. I'm telling you, our benefits are criminal. And you can't stare the force forever. All right, boys, roll out. Wait! Hey, where's the fire? I'm so glad you're here. Don't be a Dave. Find your perfect local employee at helpwantedlexington.com. Local jobs that work. 630 WLAP. Back on the Tom Dupree Show. Millennials are the new face of the retirement crisis. <laughs> yeah, so it's... <coughs> Excuse me. You know, we, we work on helping people face retirement we, with our firm. We try to invest people's money in such a way that it will produce income and those kinds of things. But... Uh, most of our clients are in the 
45 to 80 year old range they're not millennials yeah and so millennials are now facing the retirement crisis as well, yeah and, as this article described you know and as we spoke in the article before the break we were talking about you know you you you've got to be very uh overwatching of your portfolio and always know kind of you know what you're invested in why you're invested in it uh, build your convictions around it, you know, and, and over time, you'll, if you've, if you've built proper convictions and you've done proper research, you know, you, you should do well over time. Uh, the thing that this, this talks about, it says, consider the millennial generation, those born between 1981 and 1996. Starting this year, they became the largest living generation in the U.S. Uh, compared with their dismal retirement finance prospects, those currently in or close to retirement would seem to be living on easy street. At least that is the depressing conclusion I draw from recent research into the situation millennials will likely face when they begin to retire around 2050. Um, so he does this, this thing, he kind of builds out some pros and some cons. Uh, so he says one advantage, uh, but in the end it turns out to be a double-edged sword. Millennials as a group are healthier and thus should be able to work until uh, a more advanced age than previous generations. That, in turn, should enable them to save and invest more for their retirement. The second edge of that sword, though, is that millennials are also likely to live longer than previous generations, and thus must fund a longer retirement. Right. Uh, those two effects could very well cancel each other out. Uh, one disadvantage that really kind of stuck out to me, uh, he said... Millennials will inevitably feel the financial burden of whatever the government does to make up funding shortfalls facing Social Security and Medicare. Uh, as has been widely discussed, for example, the Social Security Trust Fund is currently slated to run out of money in 2034, at which point it will be able to pay just 79 cents of every dollar that is otherwise obligated. Uh, that comes a decade or more prior to when millennial generations enter retirement, of course. Uh, by definition, any solution to that shortfall will involve either higher taxes, lower benefits, or both. Uh, you know, so when when you're looking at your retirement prospects and you're, you know, 28, 29 years old, ultimately, <clears throat> so what we do at the pre-financial group is we're looking at okay, what are your sources of income coming in, and what are your expenses? It's a simple mathematical equation. Your sources of income have to be greater than or equal equal to at least uh, hopefully greater than your expenses in retirement <clears throat> one source of income is social security you have to factor that in the other is what your um, retirement savings can do for you uh, so when you look from a millennial generation you're looking at okay social security probably isn't going to be the same as what it is for the baby boomer generation right you know you cannot rely on it being okay well when i'm 65 i'll be able to take full social security yeah i mean just think about in your lifetime what the retirement age trend has done it's you know they've continually boosted it up yep um so now you've got to look at that and so now what that does for the equation is is it puts more burden on the other sources of income production uh be it your your retirement savings your 401k uh, things of that nature. So from a millennial standpoint, you now have to save more 
you have you have to be more cognizant of okay i've got to put more back for future retirement benefits right and you've got to you know unless you're going to do it yourself and do all the research yourself uh you, you've got to have somebody you trust do it for you. You know, well, I've said it many times on here. This is a relationship business. That's right. You know, so the 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 stronger a bond that you build, you know, think my grandparents have been married over fifty years. They they're they're tight. Yeah. And yeah, I you know that's that's a long bond there. You you couldn't break them two up if you with with a hammer and a crowbar. <laughs> I'm just saying. Um, you know, so the longer that that relationship has to build, then when you do reach retirement, well, now you've got somebody that can look at you and say, we're good. Yeah. You know, and, and that that's where I, I'm, I'm trying to reach out to my generation here. You need to come see us. That's right. Millennials are marrying, buying homes and having children later in life than previous generations. These life decisions impact retirement savings in a couple of ways. One is behavioral. People often feel the need to get settled by purchasing a house and raising children before beginning to think about saving for retirement, as the researchers write. Another is that by buying a house at a later age, there's less time before retirement for it to appreciate. They're, millennials are doing things later than a lot of people. I'm one of those. You know, I'm 28. You didn't do it later than me. I didn't have my first child till I was 40. Well, you're an anomaly, though, Tom. Yeah, I <laughs> always have been. Statistical anomaly there. But, you know, when I think about that, is is, is that is true. You know, I I was 28 when I had my first child. Well, I'm 28 now, and she's five months old. Yeah. Sweet little thing. Um, But, you know, that does, if you do it that way, that does kind of set you back. And yeah. you, you need to have somebody there that can hold you accountable. You know, luckily, I I work in the office. So I've got Mike, I've got Tom, I've got, you know, I've got both of you there to hold me kind of accountable. Hey, you know, Bill comes in. Hey, you need you need to start a retirement fund. He, he did that for about two years. And I was finally like, all right, Bill. Yeah. Jeez. He's like, even if you're just putting $25 a month into it, you're, you're doing something. Right. You know, and, and that's what I would say to the millennial generation. Start somewhere. Yeah. You know, you, you've almost kind of got to make it an expense. Right. Stay with us. Well, no, wait a minute. It's not time for the break yet. Uh, mortgage refinancing is booming. Just don't expect homeowners to give the economy a boost. This is interesting. Uh, talk a little bit about this article. Yes. So it talks about... Uh, you know, we've seen we've seen rates. You've seen the rate on the ten-year U.S. Treasury drops substantially. Uh, you know, and now you've seen uh, mortgage rates start to drop. Uh, so it says on the heels of a Federal Reserve interest rate cut, Americans are refinancing their homes at the fastest pace in years. Data show, uh, but expectations that those newer, lower mortgage rates can offset broader weakness in the U.S. economy might be misplaced. Uh, the most recent finance index from the Mortgage Bankers Association weekly survey showed that refinancings jumped 37% in the week of August 9th from the previous week and 196% from a year earlier to the highest level since July of 16. Uh, but it talks about cash-out refinancing are, are what really matters, so taking the equity out of your home because 
when you refinance a home, if you refinance a $200,000 loan at $200,000, you didn't create any credit. Right. It was the same amount of credit created. You're actually, you're paying lower interest, so you've actually decreased the amount of spread on the bank. Now, when you do a cash-out refinancing where you take out, you know, $20,000 worth of equity to go do something, well, now you've created more credit. Uh, that's and, right, and you've put money into the economy. Exactly, and that's what they're talking about here. It says, so over the past year, uh, Sinyak, uh, which is this Chris Sinyak of Wolf Research, uh, noted cash-out refinancing activity has come in at about $75 billion. That is well below what homeowners were pulling out of their homes ahead of the housing crisis. At their peak in late 2006, cash-out home refinancings were running at an annual rate of about $360 billion, almost five times her, higher than current levels. Uh, not only that, uh, but uh, Sinyak notes that Right now, 54% of the cash taken out of homes gets used to either pay off bills or socked away as savings. Uh, neither of those do much to boost economic activity. Right. Um, you know, so that that right there, you know, you, you when you look at that, you've, you've got to be cognizant of kind of where money's going from an economic standpoint. Right. Uh, the equity in your home... In other words, home prices haven't risen so much that when you do refis, you're able to take that much money out. Let's say you buy a $200,000 house. You take out a mortgage for 160000 on it at 4%. Mm -hmm. And the price appreciates to 300000 And you take out, you now go and refinance that 4% mortgage to a 3% mortgage and now you're taking out 240,000 on the house. You're taking an additional $80,000 of equity out and you're going to spend that money, but that only works if the house price rises and house prices haven't been rising like they had in in some places they have. Yeah. And you can take out a a, a mortgage and refi it, but and and take money out of the mortgage but you're creating more debt for yourself that's another thing that i don't like about that is that you're you're you got more money you got to repay now well, and and the home has to continue to stay at or above that level that's of price. right you know that's what things flipped upside down in in 08 because home prices actually started to decline and that's the right. equity eroded uh you know i think uh another thing too uh, that that I actually did, and this was a few years back. But when I first, you know, came out of college and I started uh, working working with you all, uh, you know, I, when I first got my first home, I didn't really have a huge down payment. Uh, so, you know, when you look at a lot of the industry, there's there's PMI involved with a lot of mortgages, uh, private mm -hmm. mortgage insurance, because you don't have the equity built up in the home. Uh, what I actually was able to do after a couple of years was I actually refinanced my mortgage at a slightly lower rate. The, the rate wasn't as big of a difference to change the, the, the principal and interest payment, but there was so much equity built up in my home, like the value had jumped so high that I managed to get rid of the PMI. That's it, great. All I had to do was pay for a secondary appraisal, you know, basically, you know, low low closing cost loan pay for the appraisal 
You didn't take money out, though, did you? No. But at the same time, if you're saving $100 a month in PMI, well, now you're able you to plow $100 a month back into uh, retirement. Retirement, you know, economic decisions at that point. All right. Now stay with us. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show. It's News Radio 630 WLAP. Electricity in the air. Philadelphia. Mental illness. 2020 is our chance. Are you ready? News is happening. A good place to be. Right here. News Radio 630 WLAP. Hi, this is Tom Dupree Jr. What does a good financial advisor do? Perhaps it comes down to asking the right questions instead of having all the answers. For instance, should I take Social Security now or later? Am I really ready to retire? Is my money invested properly to pay me an income during retirement? These are a few of the questions that might come up in your discussion with a financial advisor. Good questions are what a financial advisor may be able to help you with you will come up with the answers on your own. If you're not sure about some of these things and need a sounding board, call Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400 for a complimentary appointment. Also, you can listen to the Tom Dupree Show on Saturdays at 7 a.m. at News Radio 630 WLAP. That's Dupree Financial Group at 859-233-0400. 630 WLAP. version of save me banks utility like yields they're not as safe as utilities looking for a sector with solid dividend yields dependable earnings growth and solid fundamentals utilities are an obvious choice and they have been hot this year as stock investors turned defensive but banks given their attractive yield and reliable earnings have been put forth by some market observers as a possible alternative why are they not as good so it it starts talking about um, he, so the guy the the article he says I'm not a big buyer of the notion that banks are morphing into utilities says uh, Betsy uh, Grasick, global head of banks and diversified financial research at Morgan Stanley. The banks are, banks are a lot stronger than they were pre-crisis because of higher capital levels and significantly higher liquidity levels. She says, but earnings do go down in a recession. They do have recessionary risks. Um, it talks about how the, the difference in risk to the bottom line profits of the companies. So for a utility, by example, your, your risk is, is that somehow you get upside down on your, your, your debt. Uh, that's one risk. Or like in the case of uh, PG&E, you cause a big California wildfire. Yeah. Uh, now, as long as you don't do those two things, a regulated utility, basically the government sets how much profit you can make and how much you can raise it by over time. You know, when you look at a, a from a sustainable 
earnings increase basis, uh, you know, most utilities can grow at about six to eight percent annually, uh, profit wise. Uh, when you look at a bank, however, people can default on their loan. Right. Uh, you know, you could get a bank run. A uh, bank run will kill you. That's that's what happened par- partially in uh, the financial crisis. Yep. And uh, you could just lose out on all liquidity. So, you know, you've got all these outside forces that can really flip you upside down and cause you really could cause a bank to go out of business very, very quickly. Uh, now, that's where you, you've kind of you've kind of got to look at the strength of the bank, uh, their, their ability to, to withstand these things. But at the same time, not all dividends are created equal. Not all companies are created equal in their ability to pay dividends either. Um, you know, and it's kind of, uh, you've kind of got to build your portfolio out. You've got to diversify your dividends. Exactly. Cause it's diversified sources of cash flow. Exactly. Just like if you owned an apple orchard and you had uh, different kinds of apple trees planted in different places, different varieties, just like, you know, this is your analogy, by the way, but you want to diversify across your fruits. Exactly. You want some, you want some bananas and some, you know, peach trees and yeah. everything. Got to be a little farther south of here to grow well, bananas, partner. Well, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, you know, they you could grow them inside. Rhubarb. Yeah, you, peach trees, pear trees, apple trees, grapevines, you know, because some things actually might grow faster than other things. And you need, uh, I guess, one thing, you know, when you're looking at something like that, when you're trying to build a dividend portfolio, uh, Mike, Mike talks about income now versus income later. You know, when you look at a, at a utility stock, well, they don't raise their dividends super fast. It's just kind of right. this slug that just kind of just crawls, tortoise in the hair type thing. Yep. So that's kind of like your income now approach. Okay, you know, this, this thing isn't going to really give me a super high raise, but then you've got maybe a bank stock, for example, that, you know, they're raising their dividend 10% a year. You know, well, that's kind of your, your income later, so, you know, they'll continually hopefully increase their profits, increase their dividends. But you've got two different cash streams there. You know, one to help give you a raise over time and one to be your steady eddy yep. kind of plug and chug. Um, and that's where, you know, when we're building out a portfolio, we're looking at all these different cash sources. You know, what are what's back in the cash sources? Um, is it consistent? Is it necessary? Is it right. is it going to be used? Okay, so now we've built all that out. Now, what's the balance sheets look like? What's all this look like? You know, what are the risks that this cash flow goes away? Okay, now we've built all that out. Now we've got an investment thesis. Now we build the portfolio. Now we monitor the portfolio. This is a step-by-step thing, you know. Yep. And this is this is where you someone could do this on their own, but at the same time, the amount of monitoring that goes into it would hinder your production elsewhere. That's right. Yeah, your your time and effort is worth something. That's what we talk about at Dupree Financial Group. We're very careful to let you know that we're not doing something you would uh, not do on your own. 
Let's got one more story here. Falling bond yields make equities hard to ignore. Nearly 60% of the S&P 500 stocks offer dividend yields of at least 1.7%, beating the 10-year Treasury. So a plunge in bond yields has left investors with few alternatives to stocks. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it starts talking about, you know, a a mix of trade tensions and fears uh, that growth is slowing around the world have dented the stock market's rally. The S&P has tumbled 3.3% so far this year. Noggin this year to date gained to 15%. Investors, meanwhile, have stepped up their flight to haven assets, pushing down bond yields. Uh, dividends pad stock returns and offer investors a steady stream of income. Taking dividends into account, the S&P 500 index that measures total return is down just 2% this month and remains up nearly 18% for the year. Uh, so it says dividend-paying stocks can help insulate investors from the worst of a pullback. Uh, when the S&P 500 fell 6.6% in May following renewed trade anxieties, uh, UBS portfolio, including Home Depot and McDonald's and J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, uh, had dividend-paying stocks with below-average exposure to China fell a mere modest, a more modest 3.7%. So, dividend-paying stocks are kind of a twofold situation. If you've got a company that pays a good income that has a consistent use, then it's typically a more mature company. And, you know, you, you typically don't see the, the huge swings that you do in buying growth stocks. Right. So we always talk about, you know, one of our biggest goals uh, as an investment advisor is to hold up better in down markets. Right. Because if you hold up better in down markets, you've got a higher base to, to spring off of. That's right. Now, like with, for quick math purposes, if your portfolio dropped 50%, and then it goes back up 50%, well, you're not even. If it drops 50%, at that base, your portfolio now has to double to get back that's to right. even. It has to go up 100%. So that's where when when you hit a volatile period, protecting your base that you're going to spring off of is, is vital. Because if you can protect your base, you don't have to stretch for that extra return and potentially hurt yourself in the long run. Yep. It's, it's, uh, you know, that, that's our, one of our main goals as an investment advisor, because, you know, we, we talk about this, this, you, you said earlier in the show, the majority of our clients are in that, you know, 45 to 85 range. This money has to work for them and has to last. That's right. So if you're interested in anything we've been talking about, give us a call at two, three, three, zero, four hundred. Look at us on, uh, Dupree Financial on on uh, Facebook. Our website is DupreeFinancial.com. You've been listening to the Tom Dupree Show, News Radio 630 WLAP.